Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of November 27th, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, and if you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, we kindly ask that you please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. Mackenzie, you're back. What's up? Yeah, I'm back. Did you enjoy your break from the podcast? You get up to anything fun? Um, No, my break from the podcast consisted of me being in copper, and I was super busy that entire time. So, yeah, I... I have to say having one less thing to do was great, but I'm happy to be back. Well, we're happy to have you back. On today's show, Mac and I will be looking back on last weekend's action up in Levy, as well as looking ahead to the main event this weekend's World Cups in Killington, Vermont. I am excited. There's a lot for us to talk about, and it's Thanksgiving's weekend, too. Oh, yeah. Real excited to fly on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Heard the weather is terrible. 300 flights canceled out of Denver yesterday. Let's go. Later in the show, I sit down with U.S. ski team legend Doug Lewis to talk about the weekend's men's speed opener in Lake Louise. If you aren't familiar with Doug already, I think it's a safe bet you'll be familiar with his voice. He's been a regular alongside Steve Perino on NBC's skiing broadcasts in the past and has emceed the Finnish area at domestic World Cups for years in places like Beaver Creek and Killington. I'm also very excited to announce that Doug will be joining us on the show periodically throughout the winter to talk about some of the most iconic stops on the World Cup tour. We're talking Bormio, Wengen, Kitzbühel, Cortina. Doug has either raced these races himself or seen them enough times throughout his career to give us some real insight on just what it takes to come out on top. All right, Mac, you ready? Let's do it. All right, let's talk Levy. So the women's race on Saturday saw Michaela Schifrin take the win, as many of us predicted that she would. But there were also a few surprises as well. What were some of your big takeaways from Saturday? Big takeaways from Saturday. Um, One of the biggest takeaways for me from the race was that we saw somebody on the podium who we've never seen before, Katerina Truppe from Austria. Um, That was her first podium of her career. And while she's been in the top 10 multiple times on the tech tour, we've never actually seen her step onto the podium. Was that because Petra Vlahova couldn't put together two runs and she's normally pretty consistent? I don't know, but Petra going down was another big surprise. It's typical to see her come out pretty hard in the second run, especially if she's beating Michaela going into the second run. So While I think she pushed a little bit too much, it didn't look like she made any big mistakes on the course. It just like her ski kind of had too much going into it, too much power, and she popped out. But it was a shoe-in for Michaela at that point, and her win signified a big record break for her. She's now the winningest slalom skier in the history of World Cup, breaking Ingmar Steinmark's record of 40 World Cup slalom wins and that record has been standing for 32 years so that's a pretty big deal for her to start off the season breaking yet another record at the age of 24. Yeah I thought the end result pretty much panned out how we all expected it we kind of knew going in that Michaela something funky was going to have to happen from pretty much Michaela to not walk away with the win Um, but she was pushed she didn't win the first run Volovo did win the first run and like you said had a little bit of bad luck, maybe pushed a little too hard on that second run, wanting to get that win. Um, but yeah, big day for her. Re- first uh, slalom of the season, setting records already. Um, yeah, it, it was really exciting to see. And I think a lot of speculation before the race kind of centered on Wendy Holdner. She had a little bit of an elbow injury, didn't require surgery, didn't really take some time off snow. But the of all the events, slalom, there's a lot of force against your elbows. And, and you never really know until race day. And it was nice to see Wendy be back on the podium again. Yeah, I'd love to see Wendy actually win a race this season. She has yet to do that in her entire career. I feel like she's always kind of coming in second or third. And so Maybe it'll happen, but if she's consistently skiing against Schifrin, to be honest, it probably won't. And talking a little bit more about uh, Troupe, she's objectively a very good skier and it has the speed to be on the World Cup podium. And, and to my eye, 
she's been very streaky in the past and it was really nice to see her put two together I think over the past few years she's had two three races where she's been consistently top 10 sniffing top five and then she'll have two three races where she'll make these terrible boneheaded mistakes and, and prevent herself from from going any further than that so it was really nice to see her get up there she's not the biggest skier on the world cup by any means she's not very tall she doesn't look very strong compared to skiers like Shifrin Volova. Um, but the Austrian women needed a positive start badly with the state of that team after Solden and uh, the injuries to Bernadette Shield coming into the slalom and then all the drama surrounding Katarina Linsberger and her equipment saga. So I think all in all, it was a big win for the Austrian women to, to get a racer on the podium for slalom of the season. Yeah, I mean, they also had six women in the in the top 20, three of them, which were in the top 10. Leansberger still found her way into the top 10, even after all of that, that she went through prior to the race to even just be there. So that was cool to see. And we also had a really strong showing from the Norwegian women. Nina Haver Loseth ended the race in fifth in her return from injury appearance. Last year, she had a pretty big knee injury to come out of her race in Semmering. And so to be able to land in the top five on her comeback race and lead the Norwegian women is pretty big deal for her. Her team is young and is showing a lot of promise on the tech side by being able to filter another four women into the top 30. Great to see such a young team being able to come out so strong early on in the season. Yeah, I agree. I think given the severity of Nina's injury, it was really, really encouraging to see her come back and, and throw down with top five speed right away. So definitely excited to see how the rest of the season pans out for her and the Norwegian team as well, as, as you talked about. So let's talk a little bit about Paula Moltsen. I know she had a lot of promise end of last year, is a full-time World Cup athlete this season, started the season with a 20th place. Was that, in your eyes, a, a positive start for her? Or were you expecting a little bit more out of Paula first race of the season? Watching Paula's run, she was crushing the top of the course. She was skiing with top 10 speed, maybe even top 5 speed. It was right in the mix with everybody else until she made a couple of big mistakes that kind of set her off track. And so I think that she can do better. While a top 30 in the first World Cup race of the season is great, she's scoring points, she's staying on track. I think she also knows that she can do better. She's had better finishes, and with how she was skiing at the beginning of the course and after her first run, if she can carry that all the way to the finish, then I expect to see some really great things from her this season. Mm-hmm. And next race, headed back to her adopted home state of Vermont. It's going to have the home crowd cheering her on, so uh, expecting big things from Paula. No pressure, though, Paula, if you're listening. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the men's race. I don't know about you, Mackenzie, but I thought the men's race delivered the excitement on all levels on Sunday. Oh, yeah. There was a couple of performances that I was super impressed with. None of them were, you know, like the the big talking guys on the the podium, but I was super, super hyped up on Luke Winter's run after that race. Like, I've never felt kind of like heartbreak watching somebody fall so close to the finish but with him and that run I did yeah I think I uh watching that live at like what was it three something in the morning I uh almost woke my whole house up chucking my computer across the room he was so close that was so heartbreaking but uh I mean there's a lot of positives to take out of that so we saw Henrik Kristofferson rebound from his lackluster performance in Solden in a big way, coming from behind, taking the win over French rival Clement Noel in that hotly contested second run. And uh, Switzerland's Daniel Yule rounded up the podium in third, followed by another Swiss, Ramon Zenhuizen, showing that the Swiss men are, are definitely here to play in slalom this year. And the big takeaway for me from the men's race was Kristofferson's second run and just kind of the willpower he showed to win. Levy, we talked about it with with Perino last week on our our Levy preview show. Levy's almost like two different races. You have the top flat. It's very a lot of terrain. I thought the sets were a little cranky this year compared to to years past, so that added another level to it. And then you have the bottom, which is a steeper pitch, a little more traditional World Cup slalom looking. And admittedly, Christofferson is not a good flat skier. 
I think his splits show that, and he admits it almost every time you ask him about it. And uh, to see him put down that type of performance in the second run, and, and after that second run, all I could think of was that is the performance necessary in order to walk away with Crystal Globes this year, just with how competitive men's tech is going to be, slalom in GS. And then obviously the overall as well. He cannot afford any more 18th places like he did in Solden. And he showed that he's more than up to the challenge in a big way with his win. Um, he's back in the driver's seat in the overall race. He leads Pinero by 13 points in the overall standings. And that was really the surprise of the race for me, given that Pentero returned to the podium last year in slalom at some of the biggest races on the calendar. And to see him not even qualify for a second run was shocking at first. And then when I really started to think about it, like we mentioned before, Levy is such a unique race that it's something weird like that happens every year. I believe one year Marcel Hirscher didn't even make the second run and he won the slalom title that year. So I wouldn't read too, too much into it. I do think Pentero is going to be competitive for the slalom podium this year but uh yeah definitely made things interesting going forward in the overall yeah I mean the men's races on the tech side are always kind of a toss-up about who's going to be on the podium which is what makes them so fun to watch because half the time once you're getting to that last section of the course you don't actually know who's going to come out on top and for Christofferson to be able to pull off a win by 900s over Clement Noel was a really exciting way to start the slalom season because it already put suspense back on the table. The rest of us are kind of wondering, you know, what the rest of the season's going to look like. Yeah, and I think for Noel, he answered a lot of questions about his form early in the season as well. Kind of well documented. He had some pretty serious back issues over the summer, left training camp early. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about how there were I mean, just longevity. He's he's young. He's 22, and he's already having back problems. So that was kind of a big question mark going into the race. And, I mean, his first run was far and away the fastest skiing I think I may have ever seen from him, just given how, I think, flat and turny is probably the hardest conditions on the World Cup. And he skied it like it was a walk in the park. So, um it was very encouraging, but also in that same vein, frankly, I was almost surprised to see him on the podium just given his form in Levy in the past. His previous best was 26th place, so to go from 26th to second is a pretty big jump in just a year. So I know that there was a lot of big successes and come-ups in this race, but for me, I really want to talk about the heartbreakers. Dave riding, sitting in second after the first run, and not finishing his second run. Yeah, that was a nightmare scenario for Dave. I mean, two years ago, he wins the first run and the same thing happens. And then on Sunday, he's primed for another World Cup podium and goes down gates from the finish. I can only imagine what was going through his head sitting in the snow. But uh, yeah, we definitely hope to see Dave back up and competing for podiums again. Oh, I'd love to see it. Another... So close to the finish, wipeout. That also is on my heartbreaker list was Luke Winters falling right before, hoping to complete his first run, his first opportunity at a top 30 finish in the World Cup slalom for the Americans, and he went down, and he was on pace to be in the top 10, maybe even in the top five. Yeah, I think as disappointing as that was to see, I personally was was very encouraged by that. I think talking to his coaches before the race started, the, was, the word was that Luke was skiing within himself and faster than he ever was last season. He's the reigning U.S. slalom champion, and I think that form really showed on, on Sunday. He wasn't doing anything special. He was balanced. He was powerful. And he showed that he clearly has speed to be a factor in World Cup slalom this year. And I have to think that there may be a little bit of, of added pressure on him just because the state of, of the men's slalom team right now, there are no spots. I think Luke has a start spot all season because he finished second in the Noram standings last year. But aside from that, there's only one nation's team spot for the U.S. And 
the focus was really on the norams in copper last week for those younger guys and even the more experienced independent racers as well they have to get those fist points they want to start early because i think of all the events slalom it's the most critical to start early and i think it's almost futile to start a world cup in the back and expect to to throw down into the second run i think being realistic about it so i think it's part of its strategy by the U.S. team to, to send Luke and, and kind of put their eggs in his basket to create more nation team spots, to get those younger guys starting. But, uh, I mean, like I said, I have to think there's a little bit of added pressure on him just because of that. And I think we saw that last week when we talked to him in Copper. Yeah, when we talked to him in Copper last week, I could kind of tell that that's something that's on his mind. Um, those guys, that group of guys is a really team-oriented group of guys that want to support each other and build each other up and see them succeed on the solemn stage as a team and not just as individuals. So I think for him being able to earn a spot for somebody else to join him on the world cup is a top priority. And it's not just about how well he finishes, but like you were saying earlier, he started at bib 40 and was skiing on top 10, top five pace in at the, for the majority of his first run until that last couple of games when we wiped. So I think we're going to see it happen this season. I just don't know when, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely looking ahead to Val d'Azaire with Luke. So I would say the flop of the race once again was the Austrian men. I mean, their best result was seventh, Christian Hirschbuhl. And on paper, they should be right there. I think on paper, they are one of the deepest slalom teams in the world on the men's side, even with Hersher gone. And I got to think we're experiencing a bit of a Marcel Hirscher hangover on the Austrian <laughs> side. Um, he was just such a... He, he he took up all the air on the Austrian team. Everything was about Marcel. All the press was on him. And it was almost like a bonus when uh, one of these other guys got on the podium or, or was competitive. And I think, I mean, obviously I'm not Austrian, so I don't know firsthand what it's like to, to feel the pressure from that sporting culture and that media. But I have to think that they're feeling it and if there's a country in the world that will let their racers know it's austria so uh definitely looking for a strong rebound from the austrian men's team the rest of the season yeah i mean with that on the men's side especially in slalom and looking at the time differences in this race like you can you didn't have any room for mistakes if you wanted to be in the top 10 any little slight could put you a hundred off. And as we all know, hundies matter and that's going to knock you back on the ranking list. So it looks like they were all pretty stacked close together and then kind of fell apart and nobody was able to push and make that break forward. Like we would typically be able to see from those guys. So maybe they just need to get warmed up. I'm not sure, but you know, sometimes you got to sleep a hangover off. So yeah. Saving grace for uh, for everyone we talked about, Austrians, Luke Winters, Dave Riding. There are a lot of slums on the calendar. There's going to be a lot of chances. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And season openers are never definitively saying who is going to come out and win for the rest of the year, especially on the men's side. Huge toss-up. You have no idea what we're going to see out of the rest of these races. So, Yeah, absolutely. So looking ahead to this weekend, probably the highlight of – the calendar for domestic world cups i would say women's slalom and gs killington vermont mac you will be there you're traveling there this week are yes you are you excited what's the atmosphere like i am so excited so killington was my first time working on the tour last season and i have to say it set my standards pretty high just with how huge that crowd is and the atmosphere and I get really jazzed up being in a sports environment when there's a lot of Americans there cheering on their team and they're really excited to just watch said sport. And with the U.S., we don't have a lot of opportunities to showcase ski racing here. And it's going to be sweet to be able to be back and see the home crowd really giving our athletes, you know, everything that they have. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, talking a little bit about conditions, I know it's been a little variable in years past. I think November in New England, anyone who's ever visited New England in November knows it can be a mixed bag as far as the weather is concerned. But kudos to the organizers. They've done a fantastic job every year. Oh, yeah. With uh, with that hill. And, and uh, we expect nothing less this year regardless of what the weather is doing oh yeah i talked to those guys last season about you know how much it takes to actually get the venue ready for the world cup and how much energy they're putting into it and they're working on this venue months ahead of time and the amount of you know snow making water air pressure like all of this stuff that is going into putting this course together they've pretty much got it dialed in because they know that they have a huge crowd coming and they're ready to host and they expect it to get bigger each year. They've broken the attendance record for the women's world cup two years in a row. So we'll see if they can keep the momentum going, but I know that the organizing committee is ready for the masses. So let's talk favorites for Saturday's GS. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but women's GS is one of, if not the most competitive discipline for either gender on the World Cup. Uh, who are you looking at to uh, really break through on Saturday? Well, it's currently a toss-up whether or not Alice Robinson is going to ski. She has said that she's gotten some positive feedback about her injury and she's going to be going to Killington. We have not yet confirmed if she is actually going to start the race. Um if she does, obviously I'm going to be waiting patiently to see how she performs because as we all know, her results in Solden and her end results last year are on pace to really make a statement in the Giants Hall on this season and she was crushing it early on. So I'm excited to see that if she does ski, what she can do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the big question mark is going to be, will we see Alice Robinson in the starting gate? I think this may be a little controversial, but I almost think that this injury will almost help her psychologically. I think uh, even though she'll have that red bib if she does race, I think in the back of her head, she'll be like, hey, I'm injured. Like, I'm not going to expect to, like, people don't expect me to win again. And um, I think for a racer that young that almost reverse psychology could really work in their favor where the expectations I think after Solden there were immense expectations on her to see what she can do and then she's taking some time for this injury she's announcing she might be racing I think a lot of those expectations have been lifted and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how she is able to take that into Saturday given I mean, red bib, that's, she's 17. When was the last 17-year-old to hold a red bib? Michaela Schifrin. And you're competing against Michaela Schifrin on her home turf. I mean, that puts even more pressure on because she is the obvious favorite in this race, especially by all the fans that are there. And Alice is representing New Zealand. So I think that like you were saying, if she does start, it could be a good test to see what kind of stress and pressure she can handle at such a young age and whether or not she can come out on top. And I think talking a little bit about stress and pressure, as, as cool as Michaela is throughout the season, GS in America has really been kind of a weak spot in her resume. She's only won one World Cup GS in the United States in uh, Squaw Valley back in 2017. And she also has the added emotion of racing at home in her first race after her grandmother passed away. So I think there's another level to that where it can either inspire her to great things or can maybe be her worst enemy come race day. I think that it's going to be a big push for her. Um, and that she'll probably, like, I can definitely see her using that emotion as something that she wants to, she wants to win as a tribute almost to her grandmother, not to put words into her mouth, but I think that that's how a lot of people would look to handle a race like that coming back from such a emotional, like personal experience, being able to showcase that through your sport and really be able to stand for something important in your life. I think that she is going to do her best to make a strong showing in Killington this weekend. And I think another, another point to, to touch on is 
two out of two tech races, Norwegian women have really been impressive. Can they keep it going for a third race? I think Norwegians in particular have an affinity for racing in the U.S. I think a, a lot has been written in the past about the similarities between ski culture here in the United States and ski culture in Norway and how well athletes from both of those countries get along. And uh, it's it's an away game for the Norwegians, but in many ways it will be a home game. Christina Ries Johansson raced for the University of Vermont, was a teammate of Paul Moltsen, and uh, will be making a start again. So we'll see what they can do. I also learned this week that Tessa Worley has been struggling a little bit to come back from her meniscus surgery that she had in the spring and wasn't feeling super strong or skiing super fast going into the season. She still landed on the podium in Solden, the season opener, which is a strong showing for her. Um, but I have been hearing rumors that she's hasn't been skiing her best and feeling as well as she normally does. So I am looking to see how she comes out at Killington to see if she can still push and have that consistency or if she's going to fall back a little bit on the fact that she is trying to come back from an injury and is not feeling super confident. What are your thoughts on the rest of the American team? A lot of young talent, encouraging result from Nina O'Brien early in the year. What can they do on home snow? Well, Paula Moltzan was talking to us about how she really wants to establish herself on the World Cup this year in giant slalom as well as slalom, and she does have a Killington GS start. So I'm excited to see her perform in that discipline because we're we've gotten pretty used to seeing her do well in the World Cup in slalom, but I haven't actually really gotten to see her ski GS yet. So I'm excited to see what she can pull out at Killington. Nino O'Brien has been skiing super well in giant slalom and had a positive showing at the beginning of the season. We've got Storm Klomhaus, who's going to be starting her second World Cup. And based on how she's been skiing in training and how she skied over the summer, if she can settle down and take the World Cup as just another race and at pace, then I think that she's also going to have a really strong performance this weekend. I know she was talking about looking back at Solden and skiing out the first couple gates and just kind of having this realization that it really is just another race. And while there's a lot of pressure to perform on the World Cup, she can do it. She has the capacity to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an amazing opportunity for these women to race World Cup on home snow. And I think it will all really come down to whether or not they can turn the added factor of racing in front of a home crowd into an asset or not. I, uh, I certainly hope they do. So moving into Sunday's slalom, what should we be looking out for? Are there any changes to the outlook on the slalom season since Levy, or is it going to be more of the same from the top of the field? I think it's going to be more of the same from the top of the field. We're just looking to see the women put together two clean runs without any mistakes to really make those that fight for the podium competitive. And I'd like to see how Petra is skiing after completing two runs because Michaela's push that second run in Levy was huge and she ended up winning by a huge margin but Petra was neck and neck with her after the first run and I'd like to see what she can do because I feel like Michaela really fires under pressure when she knows that she has to lay down a second run she lays down the second run also for the slalom from the American women's side there was one spot on the slalom side that was undecided going into Killington, and that was originally offered to Lila LaPagna, who swept the Norams in Copper last week. And she thought about it and ended up deciding, you know, I don't want to start in Killington. We were able to get in touch with her a couple days ago, and she told us, quote, I'm thrilled about my results and grateful that the ski team acknowledges my skiing and commitment to race World Cup. With fast skiing, I look forward to earning future World Cup starts and working together with them throughout this season and beyond. But I decided to continue with the training and the Noram race plan that I put in place for the early stages of the season. I sincerely feel that this was the best for my big picture success, and I'm excited to keep building, end quote. So... With Lila not choosing to ski, that opens up the spot to Forrest Peterson from Team X Alpine, who has been working really hard over the summer to overcome two injuries that have set her back a little bit. 
she hurt herself in the Stowe Noram last season. Forrest has been putting in the work without the support of the national team in order to get back to World Cup caliber racing. She also scored points in the Noram by skiing into second behind Lila last week in the Norams. And that new venue at Copper, from what the athletes said, is World Cup caliber. Steep, scary, really puts you to the test throughout the entire course. So I think she has what it takes to show that she belongs in the World Cup and really finish strong into the top 30, score some points, and make a statement in her World Cup comeback race. Yeah, I think as surprising as it was for us to hear that Lila turned down that start spot, when I read what she said, I got to think this is a very tactical move for her. And I'm, I'm kind of into it, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, she has been struggling with some serious injuries as well. She took almost an entire year off to deal with a bad back a few years ago, was on the national team for a number of years, has been skiing independently for the past few. And I think she is going to stick to her plan no matter what. And I think that shows a lot of maturity on her part. And I think her team, her dad is her coach, he was a ski racer himself. He's Slovenian, hence the the last name of Lapania. You don't hear that too much here in the U.S. But uh, I think between her program with Cliff, her dad as her coach, and then having this new kind of outlook on her career with the maturity of uh, some serious setbacks to, to look back on, I think this is will actually turn out to be a positive for Lila down the road if she keeps that form going. Um, that she showed at Copper. And speaking about Forrest, I think this was a real pleasant surprise for her. She's primarily a GS skier. We've seen her in the GS on the World Cup before. And I know it was pretty disappointing for her to not uh, get the GS spot for Killington through the time trial on Copper the other week. So the silver lining is she gets to start in slalom. She gets to start on home snow and uh, really excited to see what she can do. Bottom line, it's going to be an awesome weekend in Killington. I am jealous I won't be able to be there. That does it for our discussion this week. And coming up after a quick break will be my talk with Doug Lewis. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right. Now we'll get you back to the show. All right. Welcome back to Tips and Tales. And joining me this week, we have a very special guest, Mr. Doug Lewis, 1985 World Championship Bronze Medalist of U.S. Ski Team fame. Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. It's great. Anytime I can talk about skiing, I'm in. Awesome. So let's dive right in. This weekend, we have the opening men's speed races of the World Cup Tour in Lake Louise, Canada. Lake Louise has been a traditional first stop for the speed tour for a number of years now. And I kind of want to get your opinion on this because you, you've been it, you've lived it. Lake Louise is seen as a more mellow stop on the World Cup, kind of a good teaser for the rest of the season. Is it really, in your opinion? I, I think it is. I think it's an easier course. Um, if you look at the, the amount of turns, the amount of danger, the amount of vertical. But I also, as I say, it's an easy course. I think it's a perfect one to start out with. People have not been having the training that you need in the fall. And um, again, they've been at Copper. They've been at Nakiska, which is very similar to Lake Louise. So I think it's perfect. However, it does have very high speed. And we all know that if you take for granted speed, you will get hurt. And we've seen that in the past with some big crashes in Lake Louise. So as long as you're focused, it's an easy downhill and a perfect one to start out with. Yeah, I agree. I've only been there once. I've watched it on TV numerous times. And kind of the big takeaway for me when I was up there in person was the speed. I, on, on TV, I think that's the number one thing with ski racing. It doesn't really translate when you're watching it on television is the actual speed these racers are going. And there are elements 
that are, are quite technical, but it's a turn here, a turn there. And I think, like you said, it almost lulls you into a false sense of security that you can kind of take it easy. And, and that's where, where you see guys have these really serious injuries. We saw many of them from Paradis last year. He's still recovering from that one. TJ Lanning back in the day had some terrible injuries at Lake Louise. Yeah, I was on the, on the TV call on that one and just hearing the screams, I remember oh, yeah. vividly. Blood curdling. So kind of looking ahead to the season in general, Bayette Foyts has been the man to beat the last two years. His consistency in an event like Downhill has been super, super impressive. Do you think that someone like Foyts can, can keep that going for a third year? Um, I do, but I think his age is going to catch up with him, especially when you have Paris, who's, who's I think, on the way up. I think Foyts is either plateauing or maybe on the way down. So I, th I, I think Foyts can do it. He's such a smooth skier. He's a veteran. He knows when to train hard and when to save his body, which is not a lot of downhillers know. Um, so I think he can do it, but I think Paris is, is still on his way up. And then you have a whole bunch of Austrians that you cannot discount. They live and die with downhill, and they will get spanked if they don't uh, perform. And then you have Kilde and Jansrud. So it's not a sure thing. I think Foyts has to have a safe year, a healthy year, and a bit of a lucky year for him to three-peat. Mm -hmm. And I think speaking to the uniqueness of, of downhill, I think you could maybe comment on this as well. It seems to me like of all of the events on the World Cup, the will, the ability to win by sheer willpower doesn't necessarily exist in downhill, where I think a prime example would be like Bodie Miller back in the day. I think at Beaver Creek, we saw him actually fall in his second run of GS and just by pure sheer willpower came away with the victory. You don't see that in downhill. No, and I agree with you totally. The other part of that is you make a mistake in downhill and you lose three tenths of uh, five miles an hour, you're never going to make that up. You can make it up in Solomon GS if you have the heart of Bodie or the willpower of Hirscher for sure. Downhill, there's a lot that has to come together. You have the weather, your start number, the skis, um, you know, everything has to come together. And for Foyts to be on a roll like that the last couple of years is pretty amazing. Um, you're right. I think it's more uh, capricious. It's a tougher one to be dominant in. You mentioned the Austrians earlier. I know they are a downhill nation. I know it's been the Hersher show for the past eight years, but their pedigree, their bread and butter is downhill. Their history goes back since the beginning of the World Cup as the downhill nation in the world. And they have some serious contenders with Kriechmeier, Max Franz, Matthias Meyer. Meyer has two gold medals in the Olympics. Franz has won World Cups. Kriechmeier, to me, is the next Austrian World Cup speed star just looking at his size his technical precision and the way he approaches these venues what are your thoughts on some of the austrian chances this year i i think you can pick any of those and that's how the austrians operate they are the skiing nation downhill being the preeminent um uh, discipline, they have to win. And so there's a lot of pressure on those guys. And they're always every, imagine training with that. Every run is make or break. You have to ski fast every day in training just to be on that team. So um, on race day, if Franz just happens to have a bad day, you've got Kriegmeier, you've got Meyer hopping in there. So they're really tough to beat. And if they get on a roll, they're six out of the top 10. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I think you're gonna see a lot in, in um, Lake Louise. Because right now, preseason, who's trying, who's not, who's holding back, it's at copper. You know, there's a lot out there. When you put the race clock on at, at Lake Louise, everything changes, and the Austrians are going to be the first one to just sweat and be freaked out and try to, to, to win everything. So it's a big thing. I think uh, Lake Louise will be a, a big barometer of how they're doing. And speaking of nations that have really emerged as powerhouses on the speed circuit, Norway, we'd be remiss to not mention the Norwegians. Big shoes to fill with Axel gone. Uh, but they do have two really strong skiers with Alex Kilde and Shettle Jansrud. Jansrud has won the downhill title in the past, but was incredibly inconsistent last year. He did win the world championship gold medal, but he was 12th in, in the season standings, which is really odd for him. And then you have Kilda. He's back on Atomic now. He won his first World Cups and his Super G Globe on that brand. So I'm, I'm looking for big things with that equipment switch. 
do you think that the Norwegians can fill Axel's shoes? Can Alex and Shettle step up? Uh, I don't know if they're going to completely uh, replace him, but I think Kilde is the guy over Jansrud. Jansrud, as you mentioned, so inconsistent, playing with his boots. And when you're inconsistent, even though you're a champion like him, you start to doubt. And I think that's what we saw last year, doubting his equipment, doubting his this, doubting that. Um, I'm hoping he can regroup. He's the veteran. He's the guy that we'll look to, but Kilda's the next heir apparent to uh, Svindal, for sure. Mm-hmm. And Kilda can do anything. He could be an overall threat, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he can ski GS. He can ski parallel. Yeah. I mean, talk about a surprise for me over the last couple of years. Like, yeah. he can oh, take down the fastest guys in the world in parallel. So, moving on to the Americans, we've got the veteran Steve Nyman, but a newbie on the block, Bryce Bennett is now the top-ranked American in the world. And I think we've seen a very steady, methodical progression from Bryce on the World Cup from his first scoring. The first scoring result was actually also in Beaver Creek and uh, really kind of surprised himself even last year with some of his results. He came on strong in Valgardena where he had his breakthrough and then was fourth at Bormio on one of the most terrifying downhill tracks in the world, as you know all too well, and then we'll get another top five in Vengen. What are your thoughts on on Bryce? Yeah, uh, Bryce um, has everything. He just needs to be more consistent with his all around. He has this. He look how tall he is. He can get through Valgardena without even leaving the ground when I would be thrown in the air every two seconds. So he has that. He has the attack. He's a thinker, even though he's a little outside of the zone with his thoughts. He has it all, now he just needs to be consistent. With last year's results, he should have plenty of confidence, but you never know. Even as American with confidence, you're still racing against the Europeans and and the nations over there. So I think he just needs to smooth it out sometimes, turn off that brain sometimes, and get into that role like he did at the beginning of the year, last year, like you said, and he can be uh, right up there with Kriegmeier Foyts in Paris for sure. And I think speaking to that a little bit, again, to the uniqueness of downhill, I've talked a little bit about how it, just ski racing in general, there's a fine line between not doing enough and doing too much. And I think that is exacerbated on the downhill side where there's a, a very fine line between pushing it too far and not taking enough risk. Do you think that too much confidence could hurt Bryce? I, Bryce is such a weird dude, and I mean that in the best possible way. He thinks his own way, and he really believes in himself, yet he's open to be coached, which I think is a really interesting combo there. But I talked to him last year in the last couple of years, and he is all about finding the weakness, really taking a, a good look in the mirror, self-awareness, what are my weaknesses, and working towards that. So I think he's looked at what he needs to do to that, make that final step for not only the podium, but to be a, a, a threat. So I don't think he'll be overconfident. I think he'll be right where he needs to be. Just hope he gets a little lucky with the uh, weather and the equipment. And talking about the veteran, Steve Nyman, he's healthy for the first time. I mean, he had a healthy season last year, but uh, had a bit of a concussion, sat out Garmish um, with that. And Kitzbühel. He should always sit out Garmish. Let's, let's put it there. <laughs> um, I think... Steve has, has a, a, a new perspective on his career over the past couple of years, just given what he's gone through, what he knows he is capable of. Um, what are you expecting out of Steve this year? Um, to me, it's a simple thing to fix with Steve. He has the confidence. He knows how to ski all the courses. He has the experience. What he sometimes lacks is just a smart basic technical stance on the ski. He'll lean in, he'll make those easy, stupid technical mistakes that take him right out of it. He'll chatter out, he'll get late. If he can just focus on the most basic, simple stuff, square upper body, you know, forward, on that downhill ski, he has everything to fill in the holes around it. So I think it's just easy, smart skiing for Steve, um, and then he, he could win any race. Not just Valgardena. And talking a little bit more about some of the other U.S. men, we got Travis Ganong, obviously World Cup winner in the past, has dealt with some mental demons over the past couple of years with injuries and then almost going out in Bormio, or he did go out in Bormio this year and, and, and thought he had redone his knee. And to see him progress throughout the rest of the year, shake off those demons and then really finish the year on a high note with top 10s at World Cup finals, I think bodes well for him going into this speed season. And he's... 
he's a Squaw Valley boy. He's almost the antithesis of Bryce's Squaw Valley boy. You know, he's yeah. he's so methodical. He's very laser focused, but he does have that kind of free skier vibe to him. He's got that natural flow. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Ganon? Can he step up and find the podium again this year? I think he can, and it's all mental. And for him, you know, he's fighting some of those those uh, demons about getting hurt, especially at like Bormio. But it's all about risk for him. He's so methodical. Everybody wanted to rush him early. I'm like, dude, off the pot, right? And then he's like, just patience, patience. And then he wins a World Cup. He's got the he's got the silver medal at the World Championships. So he said, relax, everybody. But at this point, he knows everything. He's just got to find that risk. When he risks, along with his perfect stance and balance, he can win downhills. But it's again mental. Can he risk it? And talking about some of these younger guys, I guess not so young anymore, Jared Goldberg, Tommy Beesmeyer, you have RCS coming on strong and downhill now, and then young guys like Sam Morse. We've seen insane speed out of them at points. Sometimes it splits. Beesmeyer's had some amazing attack from the back performances. He's dealt with some injuries in the past as well. When you're a guy who's knows he has the speed but can't really – break that ceiling and get through what is what is that thought process like for an athlete i went through the same thing i'd win or be top three in a training run and then i'd fail in the race or i'd have some good turns good sections and i couldn't put it together and i was getting really anxious when is it all going to come together just what Beesmar must be thinking and all these guys and you just have to forget about the results it'll come that that one race where everything comes together the line the weather the start number that'll come you just got to keep plugging it and take that good thing from each race and then carry that into the next one and know that one time it's all coming going to come together that's all they need i mean look at it as soon as you get that one awesome result gives you the confidence yes i knew i could do it now i believe i can do it so moving on to the race for the men's Super G title this year, and really it's been one of the most wide open globe races on the men's side. You had Hersher have such a stranglehold on tech events in the overall. It was kind of Svindal and Foyts in downhill for so many years. And Super G, the Norwegians have come away with the globe more often than not, but it's come down to the wire almost every year. And you had Paris come away with his first crystal globe last year. What are your thoughts on, on just gen, in general, the race for the Crystal Globe and Super G this year? Well, like the women side in GS, it's so deep. You don't know what's going to happen. That's the discipline on the men's side that is super deep. Paris, Kriegmeier, Yandru, Kilde, Meyer, Franz, Foyts, you know, Kavietzel. You have so many, right? And to race and to win Super G, you have to be dynamic. So it's not just, you know find that plan and stick to it. You have to be dynamic and changing. You got to be a risk. You got to have power. You also have to be a glider. So it's really interesting. I think it's, they're the most fun to watch because every course is different. And so I think it comes down to who has the skill set, and a lot of these guys do, but on race day, who risks the most and skis smart. That that fine line between control, which is slow, catastrophe, which gets you a helicopter ride, it's right in the middle there. And that's what makes Super G so fun. Um, I, it's a coin flip. If you had to ask who was going to win it, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to make any predictions, but I got to think Kreischmeier is going to be laser focused on Super G in particular, just given his technical abilities and how close he has come. He's won Super Gs in the past. And I think the, the archetype of a super g skier is someone like Kreischmeier who's big but also has a very strong technical background but is also has the gliding skills and i think you've seen that in the the title winners over the past couple of years killed the jans rude obviously a fantastic gs skier in the early days of his career paris is a sneaky good technical skier mm -hmm. we've seen him win in uh combines and he's also scored in gs so i think yeah there's not many pure GS skiers in the mix in, in Super G. You see Pentro maybe mix it up a couple times depending on, on the venue, but it'll be a lot of these very technically strong downhillers that will be in contention for this. Uh, I think Super it's two, the 2K guys. You get Creekmire, I'll go kill there. Okay. It's on. You're on. We'll, we'll talk in March. All right. So the big question on a lot of people's minds going into this season is who will win the men's overall title? Marcel Hirscher has won the last eight. He's not around anymore. And to me, a lot of the discussion has been around Alexi Pantro or Henrik Kristofferson. 
And I'm not sure that is correct. And I'll explain to you why. I think there's been so much focus on Marcel Hirscher and the way he was able to win his overall titles, dominating in two events. And when he needed it, he thrown a super thrown G, a or, super G or thrown a combined if he if he thought wanted to. But over the past eight years, he really has not needed to branch into the other events much at all. With him gone, and how te- uh, competitive Tech will be this year and has been over the past two races. I have to think that speed skiers are back in the mix in the overall title. I know Axel was when uh, in his prime when he was a very solid three-event skier. Um, but this year, I think we talked about it a little bit, Paris is incredibly strong in downhill Super G, um, has one combines, and can score in GS if he needs to. Kill day as well. Um, and then we had Matthias Meyer, top 15 in Solden. That's yeah. never happened before, and you got to think he's got that on his mind as well. Yeah, I mean, if you dig down a little even deeper, so Marcel Hirscher, at least last year, won with 1,500 points, right? And then you have... Uh, very close, and then you have Para sitting with 950. Mm-hmm. All right, so you take out Hirscher's points right, and spread them out. That's that's what you're saying. You know, they're going to share those, the tech skiers, and then to have a Paris or even a Meyer win, they have to pick it up. They can't do it with Super G and downhill. They got to pick it up in the GS or the combined. And to me, the, the it goes to Paris. Paris can ski slalom somehow, some way. So you got to have Paris with the three combines pick up 200 points, and then you got to have him GS a couple times like Meyer is, and then you could see that. But a boy, you'd have to have Christofferson, Pentaro, all those slalom skiers just have inconsistent years. So they fall half the races or something like that. The only way Paris does it is if he picks up, I don't know, 300 points on uh, besides speed, and those other guys are super inconsistent. Yeah, I totally agree. I think just purely looking at the numbers, speed skiers shouldn't have a chance. I think there's a, like maybe four or five more tech races than speed races, and that's like 500 points is pretty insurmountable if you're not even competing. But like you say, I think the advantage is definitely towards the Christoffersons and the Pentaros of the world. But I mean, my gosh, like you had Christofferson ski terribly in Solden and you had Pentro ski terribly in Levy. If that happens three or four more times throughout the year and someone like Dominic Paris or Matthias Meyer skis lights out all year in speed, we could have another person hoist that overall title that we haven't even talked about. It's possible. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible. It's definitely a possibility. That's yes. the thing we're trying to Which to hasn't say. been possible in the last eight years. Yes, absolutely. So I guess that concludes our discussion for the men's speed preview this week. Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Thanks. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone.